No one trusts anyone anymore, and we're all really tired. It's Haunted Phosphorescence. This is Throw Smiley. Why don't we just wait here for a little while and see what happens? Who's joining me this week? <laughs> well, your first tag was mine, so um, I think I'd have to say I'm Josh CC, and it's time to kick some Ouija ass. <laughs> Anybody messes with me, and the whole pod goes. I'm Brian Lesh. I just need to run this assimilation simulation, and I'm Alaric Weber. And this is Haunted Phosphorescence. As you can tell by the way I said haunted, this is our creepy October Halloween show. And this one is coming to you on Halloween. So uh, happy Halloween, everybody. And uh, this podcast is brought to you by our patrons. Patrons like executive producers Michael Beck with an Atticus Burkett. You can be a patron too. Head on over to patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. We've got lots of bonus content there. We just posted uh, an episode on uh, an American werewolf in London. So that's up there. Uh, we've got Star Wars stuff. We've got a lot of music podcasts and our brand new Simpsons podcast. That's right. We do a Simpsons episode, Simpsons Roulette, every week. We talk about a new episode of The Simpsons. So uh, it's patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. But on Haunted Phosphorescence this week, we are watching John Carpenter's The Thing. 100,000 years ago, it found its way into our galaxy. frozen wasteland of Antarctica. It could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. Warmest place to hide. Carpenter's The Thing. Um, that was interesting. They uh, um, That wasn't the sound that Bennings made uh, from that scene. No. Um, so they not only hid the visage of the creature, but also the, the sound that it makes. Right. Well, so what what I read was that every time, every, every time someone screamed as The Thing, it was different because each... Um, each time they did, um, the the sound they used was every single one that the thing had become mixed together as one scream. So, um, so that 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 first one, uh, well, who was that? Was that Oops, What was his name? Was that no Bennings? Bennings. Bennings. Yes, Bennings. 
there's going to be a lot of like trying to remember who's yeah. who. I got I I I've got us a little handy guide which I'm going to stick up on the screen here shortly. But um, <laughs> um, um but that was uh, the the scream that we heard in the the trailer was far more muted than yeah. anything from. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. definitely. I don't That's think still they the had... scariest part of the whole movie yeah. to me is that first scream. Yeah, that was that was something. All right. Um, yeah, same for me. But um, yeah, it's a uh, um th- that title where the uh, thing kind of like burns away. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually read how they did that. It was very cool. So um, they they took a black background and cut the title out of it and um, put it inside of an aquarium. And then um, behind it, they uh, put a uh, um, some garbage bags, some black garbage bags, and then they covered the black garbage bags in uh, in lighter fluid and burned it away, and filmed through with a light behind it and burned it away through the aquarium. It's it's going to come up many times, especially because we've talked about Stan Winston and Rick Baker even last week, mm-hmm. um, they were not involved. No. And some of these effects are some of the creepiest, craziest for their time. The, scary. The, <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah. the creature effects in this movie are insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. Um, so, all right. This movie was released June 25th, 1982. It had a running time of 109 minutes. It cost $15 million. It was the second most expensive movie John Carpenter ever made. Um, the first most expensive being Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, and it made a total of $19 million at the box office. This was not a hit. Um, and in fact, it was uh, roundly panned at the time. It was called the worst horror movie ever made by Fangor. Was it Fangoria or Cinema Fantastique? One of those, uh, like sci-fi. In in, yeah, eighty-two. Yeah, yeah. Or eighty-two. Yeah. Compared to everything that had been made to that point, it's the worst. Yeah, they they said it's terrible. Like like it was hated. It was a flop. It cost John Carpenter, um, his uh, like he never like. It, it took him what, like, when was it? Took him five, seven years to climb back up to the point where he could make like a fifteen to twenty million dollar movie again. Crazy. They were. They live came out after, ants. right? Oh, they they live was the next. No, 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 no. Okay, so this is. Uh, we'll go into Carpenter in a little more detail okay. for sure, but um, yeah, this was um. How so? He he went Dark Star, which we talked a little bit about on our Alien episode. Um, because his writing partner was the writer of Alien. Um, Dark Star, um, Assault on Precinct 13. His run is insane. Assault on Precinct 13. Halloween, which, like, you know, it's it's Halloween. It was one of the most uh, successful independent films ever made. Um, that was followed by The Fog, which is... Which was a, a fair, which was a pretty good hit. Um, it's not. It's considered one of his lesser films, I think, one of his lesser earlier films. But I really like it personally. I really like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, then after the fog, um, uh, came uh, 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 the thing. Then after the thing, he did Christine, 
And Christine um, was kind of, he says that he did Christine as for the studio. Sorry. <laughs> Al, are you the thing? No, it's me. <laughs> um, he did Christine for the studio. Um, it was a Stephen King one. He didn't really want to. He was kind of just hired on for it, but he kind of made it his own. Um, and that was a hit. So then after Christine, he did Starman. Um, then, uh, after Starman, he did Big Trouble in Little China. And that got him that kind of, you know, that that was also a big flop. They thought it was going to be a huge hit. It flopped. And then after Big Trouble in Little China, um, he he signed on a deal um, with with I can't remember the name of the company. I can look it up, I suppose, later when we're doing going through the production notes. But uh, he signed on a four picture deal. He would get three million dollars, and as long as they approved his one sentence pitch. But he only got through two movies in that deal before the deal uh, was scrubbed and collapsed. Uh, the two movies he made under that deal were um, were uh, uh Oh, Prince, is it Prince? What is it called? Not Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. It is Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Prince of Darkness, which is about the devil's in a jar in a basement. And the mouth of madness. No, no. And and they live. And those those two he did um, in that deal. And then his deal got scrubbed. After that, he got hired on to make memoirs of an invisible man starring Chevy Chase. Ugh. Weird. And that destroyed his career. Which came out four years after They Live. And They Live was a big success. Yeah. 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 But but his deal collapsed with the studio because like he kept wanting to make a uh Rio Bravo was his big passion project. And he kept wanting to make that. And like they kept saying, Well, if you want the money you want for it, we 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 have to have more say. And he was like, No, I want my my one sentence, like and eventually the the it broke down his relationship with the studio and um, his deal collapsed. And that's, you know, he, uh, he needed to have a big hit and he thought he'd make a studio film, a big studio tentpole film. And he got hired on for memoirs of an invisible man and Chevy chase destroyed John Carpenter's career. (laughs) Like so many before and after. Yeah. Um, Then after that, he did make in the mouth of madness, which was um, a big hit. Um. Or not a big hit, but it was kind of a bounce back. That, and then he went on to do, of course, um, oh no, Escape from, I forgot to Escape from New York. Escape from New York came in between The Thing and The Fog. I knew I was forgetting one. A big one. But yeah, he did Escape from L.A. after In the Mouth of Madness, and then Ghosts of Mars, and yeah, it's that's kind of the end. He kind of just Escape petered out. Escape from L.A. was crazy. Escape from L.A. is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not like at the level of his early 70s and 80s films, but it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. But that run he had from Assault on Precinct 13 through um, um, through They Live is just incredible. That's an incredible run of really great films that I think maybe only Spielberg has matched, honestly, as far as like so many films. Spielberg, maybe Hitchcock. Kubrick, like, like, there's some filmmakers that have a run of films that are just incredible, and like, so few get that many like he did. Totally. But this movie was not a hit at the box office, and uh, I'm bringing this up because, guys, I think it's time we play the box office top ten game. This is the game where uh, we're gonna 
Countdown, the box office top 10 of the week of June 25th, 1982. Somebody is the thing. Uh, <laughs> we're going to count down the box office top 10 of the week of uh, June 5th, 25th, 1982. I will read the box office mojo descriptions of these movies, which are always <laughs> great descriptions. And uh, the guys are going to try to guess what movie I'm describing. Guys, you ready to play the box office top 10 game? One dollar. Scream sound. (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely a human person. Yes, I would love the game. (laughs) Okay. I believe anyone who says that. Yes, if you tell me you're human, then you 100% are. Uh, Coming in, number 10 in the box office. While facing the stress of his play being produced on Broadway, a playwright deals with having to raise his son his stepdaughters, and his stepsons. It looks like that may be Pacino. Oh, yeah, that's Pacino. It's a Pacino movie. Oh, oh no, no, what's that called? Arthur, author, author? Author, author, yeah, you get it. Oh. Josh gets a point I gonna, point. I was going to say the Scarface bunch. <laughs> the Scarface bunch. <laughs> the story of, of, a man named, man. Yeah, of a man named Montagna. He was bringing up three children of his own. <laughs> he was bringing they were up. Just he was bringing up three filled with cocaine. Yeah, though. I was gonna say he was bringing up three keys of coke from Central America <laughs> on his own. I packed you a lunch. Here's an empanada and a bunch of coke. Uh, uh, coming in at number nine, and honestly, someday I really want us to do an episode on this movie. It looks insane. Um. It's the story of a rapid deployment defense unit that's called into action whenever freedom is threatened. (laughs) Starring Barry Boswick. (laughs) Wearing, wearing a, wearing like tights with like a beard and he's like on a motorcycle. (laughs) It looks amazing. (laughs) I like when fear or when... (laughs) Freedom is in danger. Right. Like it's been cornered in an alley. This is called Megaforce. Oh. All one word. See, Megaforce. I was I was thinking Delta Force. I knew that wasn't it, but uh, I was trying to come up with like another Greek letter. Well, it was Megaforce. Delta Force, but at the last minute they had to change it to Spirit Airlines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and Megaforce did open this week. The, there, there's three openers this week, including the thing, and they're all well. There's Megaforce, then the other two are kind of crazy. Um, coming in at number eight, a uh, nobody trusts each other, <laughs> and they're all very cold. The thing. The thing opened at number eight. It made $5 million its opening week. Um, yeah. opened it, At least it opened above Megaforce. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, um, at number seven, a family's home is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts with the most. <laughs> Let's have a toast. <laughs> this is a... Uh, Yes, yeah, poltergeist. Oh, right. You moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. 
which is here. which is the name of my sex tape. Um, God. what if it was the opposite? You moved the bodies, but you left the headstones, <laughs> which I know is the joke of the Simpsons. That'd yeah. be a hilarious thing to complain about, but also, yeah, it'd be like now my basement's full of all these headstones. What am I supposed to do with this much granite? <laughs> <laughs> now I know. There you go ahead. <laughs> uh, um, at number six this week. Uh, a uh, military man must stop an old nemesis from using a doomsday device. Apocalypse now? Mm-mm. No. This takes Not place in space. Moonraker? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, oh. Uh, so Empire Strikes Back. No. Damn. Not the Empire Strikes Back, but you're kind of along the right track, Al. It is the second movie in a series, and it uh, is considered the best of the series. Aliens? Uh, and it is a very beloved uh, IP. It stars uh, a man that, uh, I well, I, I, I personally met him once, um, many years ago. Uh, myself and Joshua McJunkin. And jo- were you? No, Josh. Oh. I don't think you were there. I can't remember. There was someone I, I else. I was there. Were you I wandered were? around on my own for a while. Okay. I missed the parking garage instant. So, anyways, it's a Star Trek movie. Yeah. Um, and his it, nemesis, Wrath of Khan. He has to stop so, his nemesis um, from using a doomsday nemesis? device. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nemesis. Oh God, that is kind of the same plot, isn't it? Yeah, it's not really a doomsday device. It's a Genesis device. Yeah, but he's going to use it to. Yeah, the opposite. You know. It's the doom of humanity, though, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, potentially in the wrong hands, but they always use a dead planet. Yeah. It has to be. Um, At number five, I forgot has about this. To be. Science. <laughs> at number five. A pilot is sent into the Soviet Union on a mission to steal a prototype jet fighter that can be partially controlled by Neuralink. I forgot about this movie. This stars... Oh, wow. This is a Clint Eastwood movie. I forgot this movie existed. Oh. This is 82. He made this not long... This might have been his next movie after Any Which Way But Loose. (laughs) (laughs) They, they hired Eastwood when they couldn't get Clyde to play the pilot. Yeah. No, Clyde, this is the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose. Him and Clyde have to sneak into the Soviet Union and steal a jet. No, Clyde's just like, he slides a check across the table and he's like, this is missing like 12 zeros. <laughs> uh, this was called Firefox. Oh, it's the story oh. of the world's second most popular browser. I'm coming in at number four in the box office top ten. A spunky young orphan is taken in by a rich eccentric. Annie. Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow, motherfuckers. Yep. That's right. The luckiest white orphan. Oh, probably not. Yeah, probably not the luckiest. (laughs) She's up there. Yeah, they're they're a good pick (laughs) from someone who's worked in child welfare. 
Or for, it's fucking just yeah. graceful. For a kid who, yeah, uh, yeah, for a kid who was, uh, let's see, I was what, like seven years old um, at this time. I definitely watched this movie a few. <laughs> well, this movie was I put on for it. me. Yeah, it's a damn good musical. It's good. Um, the songs are great. The performances. I mean, Bernadette Peters and oh. Tim Curry. Well, yeah, or, and uh, Carol, Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. It's a good movie. But it, but it's about a rich white man saving yeah. a poor white girl. You know. Yeah. All right. I mean, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it is. And you know, <laughs> but what are you gonna do? He's like, my name is Rum Tum Tugger. Uh, coming in at number uh, what is this? Number three. After winning the ultimate title and becoming the world champion. Our hero falls into a hole and finds himself picked up by a former enemy. Metaphorical hole? I assume it's a meta- I assume it's not a literal hole. No. I don't think he literally falls into like a cave. Rocky four? Rocky three. <laughs> Rocky three. Okay. Four, yeah, this four is was, Lang, right? Four, yeah. Four was yeah. four was like eighty four. Like like super, oh, that's right. super yeah, height of Reagan, know. like a, Morning in America, like, yeah, right. This three was, was Mr. T, right? Yeah, yeah. Club three with T, yeah, yeah. Three with T, four with more. And but and by that point, um, Apollo Creed like was not just on his side, but training him to yeah. fight Mr. T. Yeah, exactly. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The Rocky movies are pretty good, at least up through, like, the first four, at least, are all well, very entertaining. Rocky Balboa is really good. I, it's really good, mm. actually. I haven't seen any of the new ones, any of the ones made, like, since they've picked it back up. Starting, like, oh. what, like, 10 years ago? Oh, my God. It's been, like, 10 years now, hasn't it? God damn. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're due for another one. Oh, wow. I, I enjoy boxing. So... I like those movies. Um, opening at number two this week. Um, our protagonist must pursue and terminate four targets um, four. after they've returned to Earth in a stolen spaceship. I was going to say Terminator right after your first few words, but I have no idea now. Uh, this is an extremely well-regarded film. It's a big. It's considered a classic, a masterpiece. It's it's a uh, kind of kind of kind of uh, similar to the thing as far as how it's regarded at this point. You are silent, Al. Four yeah. targets return to Earth in a stolen spaceship, and our protagonist Stones. must pursue and terminate them. Oh. Huh. This oh, is uh, oh, oh. Superman 2. No. Superman 2 again. Nope. No, oh. it is not. That was... Uh, That's right. They weren't in a stolen spaceship. They were on a mirrored, a reflective <laughs> record. There, there were three of them, and they weren't returning to Earth. Yeah. Three. Um, yeah, this... Uh, let's see. In our cast, uh, we've got... Um, uh, Rutger Hauer. Blade Runner. Blade Jesus Runner. Christ. Yeah. Yes. Opening up against the thing. Stuff. The thing and Blade Runner opened the same week. I was going to say Blade Runner myself, but the four t- 
targets returning to Earth? Where were they? I didn't realize they went somewhere. Well, no, no, because they were on a a mining colony on. Oh, okay. Where were they? I can't remember where they the mining colony was. If it was like Mars right. or something, but they were on a mining colony and they returned to Earth on a stolen spaceship. To okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and number one this week, and <laughs> a troubled child summons the courage to help a new friend. Et. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is probably this is probably one of the big reasons the thing wasn't a bigger hit. No one wanted scary aliens in the well, spring of 1982. How many point, of these movies they, in the top 10 involved space? So we've got E.T., Blade the Runner, thing, Blade the thing, Rathacon. Rathacon. Uh, I don't know if Megaforce involves space. Annie, <laughs> maybe. Annie, she's from space. No, no, but, but like, like how many, <laughs> no, how Brian many are genre? Ballad, there's a hundred. Yeah, but, but, but just the ones that are genre films that are sci-fi or horror, like so, including Poltergeist. Yeah. We've got E.T., Blade Runner, um, Rathacon, Poltergeist, The Thing, Megaforce. It was a. So in that clip, uh, John Carpenter talks about how it was the same sort of situation in horror movies in the late fifties and early sixties. This fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Whether it be the communists or aliens from space or your neighbor, but you know the theme was usually the other, the yeah. unknown. Yeah, you know, as compared to monsters and ghosts and such. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. no, it is, and you know, the, the, uh, redoing this movie in the early '80s, like as Reagan is coming in, and like the uh-huh. jingoistic, like us versus the commies, like. Twilight Zone. Mm. There are a couple brilliant Twilight Zone episodes where the whole premise is just can you trust the mob? Can you trust the guy that lived next door to you for 30 years Mm -hmm. when the shit goes down? Yeah. So there's a lot of that, like how fast people turn on each other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, all right. That is the end of the box office top 10. Uh, which brings us to the background and production. We already kind of talked about John Carpenter. <laughs> and this is, in fact, the second John Carpenter film we did. Um, for uh, We did They Live for our monthly movie uh, about, oh, a year ago-ish. Um, so if uh, you'd like to hear that, all you got to do is head over to uh, patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. Become a patron, guys. Um, but... Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, so it was directed by John Carpenter. Um, and it was written by Bill Lancaster. Bill Lancaster is the son of Burt Lancaster. So <laughs> imagine that. Here we go in. Yeah, a family. More than one member of a family involved in the entertainment industry. Um, <laughs> Robert Evans' son was a coal miner. Yeah, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Um, Bill Lancaster, of course, did had a lot of uh, he he did a lot of acting too throughout the 50s and 60s. Um, but he did write a few screenplays. He decided to become a screenplay a screenwriter. He wrote the Bad News Bears. Oh my God! Great for him. The Bad News Bears go to Japan. Okay, and points are dropping. And the thing. <laughs> And, and his he uh, he uh, submitted a script for Firestarter, which was rejected. 
And that he's is all look, I came here to write three things. <laughs> Four things. Chew gum. Right. Um, he passed away in nineteen ninety seven at the age of forty nine, very young. Um, so uh yeah. Older than Wilford Brindley in this movie? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wilford Brimley was. Wait till we get to, yeah. We'll get, yeah, okay, we'll get there. But yes, <laughs> that motherfucker in this film. He's 26, right? In this movie? Not, I mean, based, we'll get there. Um, can can you, uh, 40 or below, but I don't think over 40. He was 48 really. years old. Maybe. He was oh, 48. In oh, real God. life, I know he was, yeah. Yeah. Can, no, can we modify? We modified the uh, harmless phosphorescence logos to have "Will get there" underneath. <laughs> yeah, "Will get there" is our slogan. It is our slogan. Um, but but it's "Will" is short for Wilford Brimley. Get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why we do it. Our Total Recall abilities are fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the uh, one and only Dean Cundy was the cinematographer. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Um, Dean Cundy is, uh, for anyone who's unaware, is one of the all-time greats. Uh, let's see. Uh, he did... He shot Halloween. That was one of his first movies. Yeah, exactly. Ever. That's how he... Yeah. He sh- Halloween was a, one of his early ones. Um, <laughs> rock and Roll High School. He did The Fog. He did a bunch of Carpenter movies. Um, the Thing. He did uh, Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Big Trouble in Little China, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he Roadhouse, <laughs> um, Hook, uh, Jurassic Park, uh, Apollo 13, um, and his biggest hit, uh, Garfield 2, A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> oh, poor Bill Murray. He's a legend. He's a Hollywood legend. He is. Dean Cundy is one of the all-time greats. And music by, by uh, this is one of the few John Carpenter didn't score himself. He always said that the reason he did his own scores was because he didn't have much money, and if he didn't do it, who else would for that cheap? He was the best. Yeah, he said he was the best. And adding the the suspenseful moments himself. So, yeah. John Carpenter didn't score this film. No, this was scored by Ennio Morricone. And it's what? obvious that everything that John Carpenter scored himself sounds like an Ennio Morricone copy. Yeah. Well, Ennio Morricone was kind of was kind of doing Carpenter like in this with like the the synth and like the boom 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 boom. Like yeah. that's that's a Carpenter thing for sure. Very rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah, but um yeah. but yeah, no Carpenter always said he's the best he was the best composer that he could get for the money. <laughs> so for the money what a weird thing to say. No, he's no. a fantastic No, 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 composer. himself. Yeah. Carpenter said of himself he was the best composer oh. that he could get for the money which was why he composed the theme to halloween and all of the other ones he did himself oh, gosh, I copy that yeah ennio morricone he was this was this was his big budget movie this was his big hollywood yeah. like like studio film so ennio morricone was his like can get a big fancy uh composer um kurt russell is mccready in this film uh and he got Kurt Russell um, started out as a Disney kid, basically. Him and Zendaya mm-hmm. kind of had the same roots. Yeah, we all know Kurt Russell from Sky High, obviously. Yeah, yes. yeah that's his fame to fame. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot he was in that. Um, 
but yeah, it's a Disney movie, right? Right. Yeah. Um. The the Kurt Russell. Um. This was pretty early in his like trying to break out of the kid. Uh, role. He was thirty years old. So yeah. 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 He was. He was like five years out of trying to break out of the Disney thing. Um, but his first, uh, that was used cars was his first like big R rated thing he did, which was a, uh, that was a, uh, whatchamacallit back to the future guy. Um, uh, Robert Zemeckis film, which was a great Robert Zemeckis movie. Um, but, uh, then he met John Carpenter because John Carpenter produced, uh, an Elvis TV movie in the late seventies and Kurt Russell played a young Elvis. And directed. He direct. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he directed it. He directed a few uh, TV films, which is interesting. Um, so yeah. Um, then of course he worked with with him a few times. He was Snake Plissken in Escape from New York and L.A. And um, of course he was Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China, which is a movie I would love to get. There's not a lot of Carpenter totally. movies I wouldn't love to do on this show at some time. So, you know. There are uh, so many to love, but I think this is one of my favorite Kurt Russells. This is a great Kurt Russell. He's so, so yeah, intense. From this. And I yeah. love his goddamn helicopter hat. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> well, we're going to talk man. about Antarctic clothing. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, the, yeah. Uh, Wilford, Anthony Wilford Brimley. Born September 27th, 1934. He passed. You mean 54, right? <laughs> he was born in 54. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he didn't pass away until uh, 2020. Uh, it was not COVID. It was. Was uh, it diabetes? <laughs> the, the, the diabetes. <laughs> no, it was the cold, cold hand of death. <laughs> <laughs> there was no reason. <laughs> He was born in 1934. His ticket came up. All right, let's go. Yeah, um, he actually started out as a musician. Um, he quote <laughs> the Wilford Brimley experience featuring Homer. Uh, he he's Wilford Brimley Jr. FYI, his dad is of course still alive and starring in a Disney Channel movie. <laughs> Uh, so it's genetics. That's how he stayed so yeah, young no. so long. Um, also, a nice warm bowl of Quaker oats every morning. <laughs> yes. Did anybody ever see the John Goodman uh, parody where he played Wilford Brimley? And he's like, he's like, I wouldn't eat oatmeal if it was the filling in a Dove bar. <laughs> uh, uh, so, all right, all right. Wilford Brimley started out. He was oh, yeah. he he was a bodyguard for Howard Hughes in the fifties. Um, and then he wow. became a stuntman. Do you think? Do you think he had to carry jars of pee? Oh God, and, definitely. Like, clippings? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's the fifties, absolutely. But uh, yeah, do you think he guarded it? Like I have a lot of questions about Howard Hughes being a security guard for him. Like, yeah, do you think his his pee extended like he himself extended into the pee, and he's like, you need to protect those jars. Yeah, oh, he didn't God. want them thrown away. No, he kept yeah. them. He saved them. Yeah. Um, do you think he made Wilfred Brimley drink them? <laughs> he's like the job is mostly data entry and pee organizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, do you think they were organized by color? I have a lot of uh, questions about P, man. This is going to come up. Yeah. So, all right. uh, Yeah. Wilford Brimley, 
Um, that he be, he was well. He was a marine. He became a bodyguard for Howard Hughes. He started working as a stuntman, um, and then um, as as a uh, he was a he he did some ranch hand work and wrangling and blacksmithing, which is how he got his job on the Waltons, which was a where he played a blacksmith, um, and that got him his work in the China Syndrome. Um. And, uh, you know, Absence of Malice was a big hit and the, um, that he was in, and then The Thing. And then Cocoon is the thing I know him from. Cocoon and those Quaker Oats commercials. And how, how old was this supposed 80-year-old character in real life in so, Cocoon? In Cocoon, he was 51 yeah. years old. <laughs> Which I would point out that Wilford yes. Brimley in Cocoon was younger than Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man 3. He's in that movie. He's four years older than I am now. And he played 80 or 90 or something. Yes. He was the oldest young man I have ever seen. He looked, yeah. He's looked 80 he's since he was 45. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said for big white mustaches. And what they do to a man. And what they do to a lady. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Wilford Brimley. Uh, T.K. Carter. As, uh, oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to start doing a lot of back and forth to remember who everybody played in this. Um, okay. We got uh, T.K. Carter as Knowles. He was the cook. Yeah. Um, the roller skating cook. Yes, roller skating the cook. roller skating cook. Uh, he was in Ski Patrol. You guys remember Ski Patrol? That's a great movie. Um, he was Chester and Seems Like Old Times. Uh, oh, he was on Punky Brewster for a while. Yeah, he was on another TV show. Good Morning, Miss Bliss. He was on, uh, oh, he was on A Different World for a bit. The Steve Harvey Show. Um he was on Good Times. Oh, he was in Doctor Detroit. He played the the limo driver in Doctor Detroit. That's where I really know him from. Oh, Amazon Women on the Moon. He was in a lot of stuff. Um, he played Bill Cosby in Badass. <laughs> oh no! Wow. Uh, David He's in Space Jam. Oh wow. Uh, David Clennon played Palmer. Uh, David Clennon. Let's see. He was on Thirty Something for a while. Uh, Paper Chase. Ooh, Bound for Glory. Uh, yeah, his. I, he seems to be a lot of like fourth build stuff in a lot of like medium uh, popular movies. He was in The Couch Trip, Legal Eagles. <laughs> I forgot if Legal Eagles existed. Matinee. Uh, character actor, basically. Um, Keith <laughs> David. Yes, Keith Love David him. is Childs. This, yeah, Keith David is amazing. Um, he was in Platoon, Dead Presidents. There's something about Mary, Barbershop. He was hilarious in something about Mary. For having the, such the Frank or the Beans. Yeah. yeah, trying to help this dude. Yeah, <laughs> and I just wanted a whole movie about Keith David and Marky Post. Yep. Um. And, of course, uh, a lot of our younger viewers may know him as Elroy from Community. Uh, he's the voice of the president on Rick and Morty. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Keith David. National. Also, Trump. they live. 
I mean, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We oh. talked about him again in They Live. Yeah, uh, one yeah. of the greatest cinematic fight scenes. Yeah. of all time, eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, one of the longest for sure. Right, <laughs> and, uh, and it's br- it's brutal, and it's just about trying on sunglasses. Yeah, <laughs> what if that happened in the sunglasses hut? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love the moment in that fight, like in halfway through where he, where Rowdy Roddy Piper breaks the window and he starts laughing and like apologizing to Keith Davis. Like that was my window. <laughs> um, we got, a. Uh, let's see, as, uh, Dr. Copper, um, Richard Dysart is Dr. Copper, um, Let's see. Uh, he was oh character actor, another character actor. Oh, he was. We saw him in the mask. No, not the mask. He was in Mask, which is a, a very different movie from the mask. <laughs> <laughs> that party scene would have been way different. <laughs> oh my God, Cher and uh, what's his face? Um, uh, it was uh, who played Mask? It was Sam, it, it's Sam Eric, Elliott and Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz, that's right. Eric Stoltz as the Mask, or Jim Carrey as Mask. Either way, it's going to be Jim Carrey as Stoltz as the Mask. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. So Richard Dysart, uh, he was a Mask, Wall Street character actor, old old dude. Um, uh, this this is fun. He was uh, the voice of Cogliostro in Todd McFarlane's Spawn, the oh. uh, the animated, oh, okay. uh, in which. Keith David played Spawn. Oh, cool. Oh, huh. Um, okay, so Charles Hallahan as uh, Norris. Um, Charles Hallahan. Let's see. Uh, yeah, going in style, cast a deadly spell, Dante's Peak. Um, char- another character actor, Peter Maloney as uh, Bennings. Um, oh, yeah, he's he was in Desperately Seeking Susan, Manhunter, JFK, Boiler Room, K- oh, K-Pax. Um, Richard Mazur as uh, Clark. <laughs> and uh, I looked it up, and Mazur's a small type of cherry tree. <laughs> not a lot of people know that. I did not. Uh, Richard Mazur Orange was County. probably best known as Nick Lobo and Ro- uh, Rhoda. Um, and Dave, Donald Moffat as Gary. Um, Donald Moffat is a. Let's see, it was in The West Wing, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman. Um, I kept trying to figure out where I know him from best because he is super, super like like that guy. I know that guy, and yeah. I'm looking. I was looking through his. Um, Logan's no, he was on the Logan run TV series. Like I cannot figure out what it is where that I know him uh, that much was, from. He was the president in clear and present danger is what I remember him as. Uh, I remember him playing that. He was in the right stuff as LBJ too. Okay. Um, Popeye so he's played the president in a couple of things. He was the tax man in Popeye. Maybe it's that. Um, yeah, he was in bonfire, the vanities. God. Yeah. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> He played Walt Whitman in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> Walt Whitman was in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? Yeah, they had to have some sort of celebrity cameos. <laughs> uh, he definitely did not want her 
brand of medicine. <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> uh, Joel Polis played Fuchs. Um, let's see. Joel Polis. Uh, wow. Uh, mostly did TV after this. Cheers, Alien Nation, Northern Exposure. He was on Seinf- an episode of Seinfeld. Um and then uh, Thomas G. Waits as Windows. Um, and Thomas G. Waits. That's rounding out our cast here. He, uh, mm, oh, he was in The Warriors. Um, yeah, another character actor. A lot of fifth and sixth build stuff. Um, did some episodes of Kojak. Oh, he was in Money Train. Um. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like say in Halloween, he had no idea how well it had been cast yeah. and how successful they would be. But he did cast lesser-known actors, and it always worked so well. It really did. Like, who would have guessed Rowdy Roddy Piper? Right. Well, could pull off such a high-concept fucking. And I loved him. He was one of my favorites. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, That's and, another Donald Sutherland body snatchers role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. apparently he met Rowdy Roddy Piper through um, just he was he was he just went to like uh, WrestleMania like or something. <laughs> I got to go backstairs and meet people. I was like, hey, you want to be in a movie, Roddy? Old school WrestleMania was bigger than the Super Bowl is to adult men chest <laughs> you know what i mean wrestlemania was the shit yeah it was huge it was huge um so uh this movie was reviewed by siskel and ebert later there's a terrific blood test where they try and check out who is human who is not i wish this movie were less ugly than it is because in terms of storytelling and suspense and that subtext of suspicion of one's fellow man, this is actually a very well-made movie. But at regular intervals, no doubt about it, it does gross one out. So, a mixed review for the thing for me. I'm going to recommend it, but serve notice that a lot of people who see it will be made sick by it. I think that's probably an understatement. I would call this the barf bag movie of July. I have some problems with it. One of them is, I think, the characters. They're not made into three-dimensional people. Their function is to walk down the corridor and be jumped on. The other thing is plausibility. Once they figure out that this thing can turn into one of them, they ought to institute a watertight buddy system, but instead they have all kinds of loopholes. People walk out into the snow, come back with a grin on their face, so that the story is totally implausible, and the movie just basically is an excuse for this very gruesome and repellent creature to gross us out. It is the most nauseating thing I've ever seen on a movie screen, I think. That's quite a statement. I think think I'll stand behind it. I think that the uh, movie for me, though, isn't about those characters as individual people. I think that's why they can be interchangeable. I think that it's about how a society, this little group here, Mm -hmm. wants the poison, they think something's going wrong, you're you're not in the group, you're out, move, just Uh that line, move away to one side, it's a very Mm -hmm. chilling thing. And I think if you read the movie in that way, then the implausibilities at at your level mean very little, and so you sit there wishing, and I do wish, <laughs> that it were a lot cleaner. Well, I think, Gene, though, that you, I've got uh, news for you, and that is that 99% of the people who go to see this movie are go- there to see the monsters, and very few of them are going to read it as your kind of uh, allegory of McCarthyism. That we will see. And we split There's on the thing. Roger, as you can remember, was appalled by the <laughs> monsters in the film. He calls it a geek show. I didn't enjoy looking at the monsters either. But I did find it to be an interesting element in the movie, the element of suspicion of something rotten in one's fellow man. So a reluctant, but yes, vote for the mine. 
Well, that's all for this week. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that this time Gene got it, but but Ro- Roger didn't. Yeah. yeah. Not at all. He didn't. Yeah. 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 I don't always agree with Gene. I rarely agree with Gene, but this time. Same. Yeah. Yeah. This time yeah. De- he, he like it's it's because the paranoia, like the suspicion of paranoia, that's kind of the point of the film. Yeah. It is. And it doesn't have to be like this McCarthyism thing like Roger thought he was trying to say. Gene summed it up the end, too. They're like, the fear is each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Scooby-Doo principle. <laughs> well, and the monster is how you get butts and seats. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and the suspicion is what makes the movie compelling. Like, Yeah. And the howling came out three. No, that was last night's movie. <laughs> but yeah, there was. they were trying to outgross each other. They were. They were. Um, and but I also see why like an adult gross out horror uh, movie about aliens is not gonna hit in the summer of ET. Absolutely. Um, but this uh, so I mean eighty two is often called the best genre year of all time. Um so uh for instance, so what do we got here? Besides the ones we mentioned, um We've got um, the, you know, all all together, you know, um, on the same one. We had The Thing, Poltergeist, um, uh, Wrath of Khan, the um, uh, E.T., uh, Blade Runner. Um, let's see. The, uh, Creep Show came out that year. Um, the Dark Crystal. Uh, Tron. Conan, The Barbarian. Um, basket case swamp thing was 82. Um, God. Yeah. It's just on and on. Um, it was a crazy, crazy year for, for, uh, uh, genre movies. Um, (laughs) and of course we mentioned Megaforce, uh, but, um, Halloween three, which is a, that that's crazy. Halloween three, is a ridiculous movie. <laughs> yeah, it's insanity. But um so uh that's about it guys. As I said, I do have our handy character guide here. <laughs> because <laughs> I could not keep them straight when writing my notes. <laughs> um so uh you ready to jump into the movie itself? They all look like the same guy with various versions of facial hair. <laughs> I think Josh is the thing. He can't discern human faces anymore. That's I'm the gonna... next big thing, that's for sure. Uh, I'm not seeing the uh, the character guide. It's just black screen to me. You don't see it, Al? Al is also the thing. Josh and Brian, can you see it? Yeah. Oh, I see it. I see huh. human beings' faces and descriptions of human beings. All right, I can live without it. Can you, Al? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I think we'll find how little their names really matter. Oh, there it is. Oh, just took a little while. So, Alrighty. All right, guys, you ready to jump into the movie itself? Who wants to be my buddy? <laughs> uh, here we go. This is... Nobody. Nobody does. Because <laughs> I'm the thing. We knew it. I out. think you're the thing. We knew it all along. That is discrimination. You, 
I don't have to wear a mask. Uh, <laughs> I saw one. Some dude went into a gro- uh, it looked like a grocery store, but um, and they asked him to wear a mask, and he just laid down on the ground and just started yelling no. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, you're yeah, actually I, four years old. I've yeah, it's not civil like disobedience; that. it's a tantrum. I have an anecdote that's not doesn't pertain, so. Hopefully, I remember to tell you off air, but it was bonkers <laughs> oh. yesterday. Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'll remind you. Um, so, all right, here we go. This is The Thing. We open on space. A flying saucer crashes to Earth. We get a title card. And then a card that reads, reads Antarctica, winter, 1982. I like that they, like... I like when they give us like they they just set it definitively in time. Like I knew I know that was like present for them, but also mm-hmm. I I like so many they do like the present, you know, Antarctica. Right. Like I'm glad they said no, it's 82. So even if you watch this 10 years from now, it's still 82 that this movie takes place. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that too. So, um in Antarctica, a dog races across the frozen tundra and a pair of men in a helicopter chase it trying to shoot it. I want to say that uh, that dog was probably the best actor in this film. Yes. Despite it being incredibly well cast and acted, but that dog was incredible. And uh, that dog's name was Jed. Sweet. Um, uh, Jed was born in 1977 in Bellingham, Washington. (laughs) He's an actor um, known for, I guess this was his first movie. Um. And went on to be in The Journey of Natty Gan, White Fang, and White Fang 2. Oh, wow. Myth of the White Wolf. Good for him. I want to say Uh, that he is the best in this movie. And I'd like to point out that that sniper is the absolute worst. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Al, were you you reading uh, this dog's memoirs? Is that uh, that a quote from his own (laughs) own writing? (laughs) Yes. It was ghostwritten. The Jed story. (laughs) Um, Before we get too before we get too far away from the spaceship, uh, this is the the one space moment in this entire movie. Yeah. Um, Does the ship look like it is being flown in an orderly fashion, or does it look like the ship is careening out of control? It looks crashing towards the Earth. It looked to me like yeah, it looked to me like it was crashing. So I don't want to get too deep into examining what the thing is yet but i don't think the thing is the original pilot of the spaceship good point yeah good point. i think Probably that not. that yeah whatever was flying the spaceship was dealing with the thing oh that's not very interesting Ripley in alien i don't think that the ship was built by the thing okay or, or that the thing chose earth yeah oh yeah yeah definitely it's a, it's a symbiote uh, basically so it would have yeah. done that to any life having planet so yeah I think you're right. Yeah. Part of the pilot was there and, you know, that's, that's actually very interesting, Brian. That's so we're encountering two alien races. Yeah. Basically the ones that built the spaceship and then the, the, yeah, the parasitic one that's taken over the, the pilots of the ship. Okay. Yeah. Which Uh, I cannot elaborate how much I love, but also how much that is similar to the beginning of alien. mm, Yes. There are two alien races in alien. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Um, so, all right. Uh, meanwhile, at the U.S. National Science Institute, 
Station 4. The, man, the men relax and play games. We meet McCready. He does not like to lose at chess. Um, the voice of Chess Wizard? Yes. Adrian Barbeau. Oh! Who was... What? Oh, huh. I love her. Yeah. So she was... Yeah. She was in The Thing and uh, Swamp Thing. <laughs> she- <laughs> Two kinds of things. Two ki- um, there are two kinds of things in this world. Things that swamp things. <laughs> and Adrian Barbo knows. And of course, uh, Escape from New York. Yeah, yeah, of course. Carpenter. She was, what, didn't, wasn't she like, I think she was romantically linked to John Carpenter or something at some point. Hmm. I can't oh, remember. Um, so, all right. Um, the dog and the helicopter arrive at the American base. Money. <laughs> The men run out to see what the commotion is. The dog seeks safety among the Americans. The men with the helicopter jump out. One dies through some terrible grenade handling. <laughs> that was ridiculous. The like yeah, that is convenient. Yes. Terrible grenade handling. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, it also blows up the helicopter. The other one tries to shoot the dog, um, shooting an American, Bannings, instead. Um, and the, uh, the, uh, leader of the American base, Gary, decides to just smash a window and (laughs) kill the man with the gun. The window smashing, I thought was a little, uh, hasty, like run to a door or open the window. I was going to say there are a lot of open doors in this movie compared to the original, a lot of open windows, a lot of, a lot of acting like. The temperature in Antarctica is is quite manageable, right? Yeah, right. there. Well, I mean, you know, it gets stuffy inside. You want to let the cool Antarctic breeze in, so you have ventilation. Yeah, it's like the surface of the moon out there, right? Right. So and you didn't see any biosphere type setups. The only reason to do that research on Antarctica is to see if you can live in those conditions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of questions like, about the else? research that they were He's doing. Like, there. Yeah, what, yeah, what was their research they were doing? Because, yeah. Um, I know this was, it didn't look like a, an astronomy um, base, but uh, no. they do a lot of astronomy down there nowadays, anyway. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, yeah. Well, clearly they were doing no, some biology because we had our a biologist. Uh, but what kind of biology are, are you there to do in Antarctica? You've got penguins. Um, <laughs> Well, I assume that it was microbiology because we had the computer simulation of uh, individual cells. That makes sense. I mean, like like drilling out ice samples and like seeing what's in them. Yeah. Sure. But the, the real reason is to see if human beings can live under those certain conditions. Nobody's mining under Antarctica. Nobody's building real estate. <laughs> That's why they do that. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely definitely a part of it. But yeah, they're pr- mm-hmm. they play real fast and loose. I'd like to like I've been I well, I've been in real life, not these people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I have been in negative fifty degrees before. Um, in some of the coldest parts of the uh, northern Midwest, and yeah, it is not a joke. Kind of, you d- yeah. <laughs> like you don't like yeah. they're acting like it's twenty out. Not negative. Yeah, you don't 15. go on a cowboy yeah. hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you bundle. Like nothing of your face should be yeah. exposed to those elements. Yes. Um. So, all right. Uh, that's probably 
the weakest part of the film as far as like how they handle. And it's the first week of winter, so it's not even like. What do you mean winter? That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. It's like Time, winter doesn't. I exist. understand ca- the Gregorian or the calendar. That makes sense, but like actually being there, there's no seasons. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't see. Well, what so, a nice sunset. Just discussing the choice of doing this in an Antarctic station makes me wonder what the discussion about whether or not this should be on Earth versus being on a space station in the future. Mm. The original um, is the exact same setup as this. They're on a mm-hmm. they're on a like station in Antarctica right. studying. Well, and this was based off of the original short story that the thing from outer space from 1951 was based off of. Also, so like they didn't. Yeah. John Carpenter didn't remake the film. He did a version of the same short story that the original film did. Unless you've seen the original. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it was, you know, there was, he took inspiration from the original, but like, you know, the, the story wise, it was based, um, they specifically said they based it off the short story rather than the film. Um, so, all right. They, uh, Americans take the dog inside. They patch up Benning's uh, wound on the leg and try to figure out what happened. Uh, Windows, our radio operator, can't get through to anyone and hasn't been able to for uh, two weeks. They figure out the men are Norwegian. We meet the rest of the crew. <laughs> I, I got to just point out, it's nice to see some more. It's nice to see more Ouija hate out there. Norway, <laughs> Norwegians get off for easy. <laughs> Coming over here, stealing jobs. Well, stealing all our death metal jobs. <laughs> all of our neurosurgeon position. Yeah. Uh, Ouija's. <laughs> Um, so, all right, they decide to head over to the Norwegian base to see what's going on. McCready is the helicopter pilot, so uh, uh, him and uh, Copper, Dr. Copper, load up and fly over. While they're gone, at the base, the dog wanders around, eventually finding someone alone. Uh, we don't see who that is, though. Uh, McCready and Copper. The shadow indicates that he has hair. It does. It does indicate hair. I would point out that um, Carpenter, uh, the shadow was created by one of the uh, special effects people. It was a crew member. It was not an actor's shadow. Um, John Carpenter specifically wanted to keep it uh, um, uncertain as to whose shadow it was. Um, The most likely candidate is probably uh, uh, Norris. He was a uh, Norris or Palmer, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. One of those two. Yeah. Um, it wasn't McCready. He didn't already get it. <laughs> Wait, wasn't it Clark? Wasn't he? No, no, no. Clark. Clark. No, but Clark never got infected. Okay. Later, that's right. Later on, McCready yeah. shoots Clark, and Clark was just a straight up human. Clark never got infected. Um, so, uh, Who's infected and who's not and when they get infected is a puzzle. And it's a puzzle people have been working on for 40 years. So um, They explain it somewhat, but yeah, not satisfactory. I mean, yeah, it, there's, there's vague moments and it's definitely something that you have to put together and go back and look at. And it's not – it's there's some that there, we simply don't – never had the information to save with certainty in certain <laughs> so, points. I saw this movie with my family at the De Anza Drive-In when it came out. 
Oh, and wow. I didn't, of course, I didn't know it, but my parents and aunt and uncle had eaten pop brownies. And <laughs> during the during the dog scene, my mother freaked out so bad and got so scared. We all had to leave. Oh my god! Drive in because she was flipping out because <laughs> that dog shit is fucked. Oh, yeah, and it's so early in the movie, you don't see that shit coming. No, until no. it's so it's hardcore. Like no, when that started, a, a normal up, movie would make a, a dog sound like a dog in pain sound off screen. Yeah, this yeah. just got wrong. This one just straight up the dog's head goes like full, like 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 Stranger Things flower yeah. face, like yeah. Um. All right, yeah. So McCready and uh, Copper arrive at the Norwegian base. Finding only charred ruins and frozen corpses, um, they find the burned remains of a malformed humanoid double-headed kind of thing, uh, which they recover and take back to the American station. Meanwhile, Gary's getting annoyed that windows can't reach anybody. Blair performs an autopsy on the remains and finds a normal set of human organs inside. That night, Clark kennels the uh, Norwegian dog with their own dogs, and at this point, it turns into a hideous alien creature and begins absorbing all of the station dogs. Uh, the team hears the disturbance. They run in to the scene. Um, child go- gets uh, sent to fetch a flamethrower, and they use that to incinerate the creature. Blair autopsy... And discovering that fire... Seems to be their only weapon. Yeah, fire. Yeah, because uh, someone they try to shoot it at one point, which does nothing. So they get the flamethrower, and uh, the flamethrower takes it out. So they, they they know fire does it. Blair autopsies the dog creature, learns that it can perfectly imitate other organisms. He asks Clark. He asks Clark about the creature and discovers that Clark was alone with it for some time. Um, Clark. Seen as later on we discover he was never infected, was like a super early red herring here. Um, they watch videos of the Norwegian team, <laughs> private videos, uh, <laughs> that they discovered at the base. <laughs> they find out that the Norwegians had uh, dug something up out of the ice. They figure out where the excavation site is and fly over to check it out, discovering a partially buried alien spaceship. Um, estimating due to the ice around it that it was there for a hundred thousand years. So the the thing was a, was in hibernation for a hundred thousand years. So it's extra hungry. Yeah. <laughs> um, back at the base, they discuss the impact of the discovery of alien life. Um, uh, which who is it? It's a. Uh, uh, Palmer, right? Is Palmer the the stoner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palmer's the one who's like chariot of the gods, man. <laughs> like, like that's an actual book, and it's fantastic. It is, yeah. well, and the movie, right, had come out at that point. I think so. Yeah, I think it had seventies. Yeah, the documentary. It film, was basically the original ancient aliens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Zachariah Sitch in particular. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. the Knowles uh, finds a torn up set of long johns in the garbage. Um, Blair runs some computer simulations 
and estimates that if the creature got back to civilization, it would assimilate all of Earth within three years. That uh, is quite a, a tandy computer. Yes. You can do a lot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh that's yeah the computer <laughs> the computer work in this is funny because it's like uh well and like because you know kurt russell pours his scotch into that computer at the beginning because he's mad about chess but that's this is 1982 that's probably like a three thousand dollar computer he's ruining uh, i don't think was that the same was, computer that was the chess computer it was the chess yeah. it, it was just for chess but still a chess yeah, computer in 1982. It, was called, it was called the chess wizard yeah, yeah. That's all that thing did was play chess. Yeah. Later on, we see there are multiple large servers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With like the tapes and everything. So the computer can determine the percentage of that the percentage of people who will be infected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting that three years is his estimate and not three weeks or three months because yeah. realistically. Uh, COVID got around the earth pretty quickly. It did. I think that estimate might be actually a little optimistic. Yeah. Spanish flu before there was inter, uh, intercontinental flight, things like that. I mean, and those, those things don't have tentacles and uh, mimicry and the ability to hide that they exist. Yeah. You know, that's actually, it's interesting True. watching this movie in, in the era of COVID. There's a lot of parallels, which. Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. You're not going to make me do that. Mm-hmm. I watched this in the early days of lockdown because of that. I thought like, oh, well, here we are. Yeah. Well, time, me and my roommates locked in a house together. All of us yeah. wondering, is he bringing COVID home? Right. <laughs> <laughs> is he COVID or is he, is he my roommate? Or is he brovid? <laughs> <laughs> is he, maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's Maybelline. Um, so. Um, all right. They, uh. Let's see. Bennings and Windows are done with the alien corpse, but Windows or are, are yeah, they're they're packing up the alien corpse. <laughs> like they're putting it away into storage. Uh Windows leaves and the corpse moves behind Bennings' back. Meanwhile, Fuchs uh takes McCready aside and tells him that Blair is cracking up. Um, but Blair did write in his journal that the remains aren't dead yet. They still have cellular movement. Uh, meanwhile, Windows in, comes back and finds that uh, Bennings is in the middle of being assimilated. Um, the whole camp gets alerted. They run out. Bennings does that crazy scream, and they Ugh. burn and him to death. And you can still see you can still see the hand is an approximation of a human hand. Yeah, it hasn't like, fully formed yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the. There were some uncanny valley moments with with the Bennings prosthetic that really, really, really made it scary. In addition to the terrifying, like open mouth scream. Yeah, yeah. Totally. That, between that scene and the blood sample scene, like, like, oh, geez, and the dog, and oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Um, after burying the remains of Bennings, they realize they can't find Blair. McCready spots him sabotaging their snow vehicles. Um, but they the didn't helicopter. bother calling Natalie or Tootie to find out where Blair was. <laughs> um, McCready uh, spots Blair sabotaging some vehicles. There's a disturbance inside. Um, 
They find Blair trying to destroy the radio and their uh, servers after having killed all the remaining sled dogs. Um, the team subdues and imprisons him in a tool shed, and he warns McCready to keep an eye on Clark. Uh, at this point, Dr. Copper suggests they do a test to compare each member's blood against the uncontaminated blood being held in storage. They find that the blood has been destroyed by some sort of supernatural creature, possibly a werewolf so, or zombie. <laughs> I, I have a question about the blood thing. I, of course, it's hard to know the intentions of the thing itself. Sure. Was it destroying the blood so the test couldn't be run, or was it assimilating the blood so that it would be better at mimicking the human beings that the blood belonged to? It's hard to say. Um, it's it's really hard to say. Um, but, well, both is very possible. Yeah, and yeah. it could have been a little bit of both. Yeah, because at this point, and this was one of my unanswered questions— who even destroyed the blood? Who was the thing at this point that was destroying the? Who, who at this point is the thing? Like we, like I'm uncertain. And actually, how does the thing feed? And does it even or, need to feed? Does it need to consume anything to survive? You know? Yeah, because it it like sticks its it brings out tentacles which stick into people and then they get assimilated. But uh, I just wondered if it needed blood. Yeah, not, not like a vampire, but to. Yeah, some sort of some sort of organic life to, yeah, organic material. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I don't know because, like I said, at this point, I, I'm uncertain as to who even the thing is. I suppose Norris probably is if he's the one who the dog um, assimilated earlier, because that seems the most likely. Or yeah. it could be Palmer. Like we, and how did they get the key? Was the because the doctor wasn't assimilated. And the doctor and Gary were the only ones that had access, which is why they were so um, suspicious of them at the time. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, and maybe the doctor was already assimilated when the arms happened, um, and it was the thing pulling a, a bluff on uh, the people. Yeah, that's a good you know? point. Although I feel like when the the arms got chopped off, he would have given away his thingness. Yeah. I don't know. But it wasn't surprised. It, maybe it could have been anticipating that ahead of time. That's that's always been my assumption with the key aspect was the doctor was just faking it and mm. planning that whole thing. That's they test they tested the doctor's blood, um, and he came up negative. Oh, that's true. Came yeah, the clean. two dead bodies were both negative. Tested. Yeah. That's right. The doctor and who was the other dead one? Oh, uh, 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 Clark. Clark had been shot in the head. That's right, Clark. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who did that to the blood. That was one of my unanswered questions. Um, but, all right, so um, then they, uh, yeah, he goes in and he finds out that the blood has been destroyed. Um, they start arguing amongst themselves. They end up pointing guns at each other. Gary gets accused of being an alien. He gives up command to McCready. Um, that night, McCready um, has Doc, Gary, and Clark tied up and drugged because they're the three that are under the most suspicion. Um, then 48 hours pass uneventfully. McCready records a journal entry in which he divulges that he suspects that when people transform, they tear through their clothing and thus the uh, torn up long johns. Uh, that night, Fuchs hears a noise outside, and the lights go out. 
He runs outside, and in the snow, he finds the torn-up jacket of MacReady. We cut to some time later. MacReady's telling the others that Fuchs is missing. They split into teams and go to investigate. Uh, They visit Blair, who's acting strangely calm and eating his Quaker oats. Um, (laughs) And there's a noose hanging in the the tool shed. Yes, he was planning on killing himself, but the noose remains un- the, used? Yeah, it remains unused. So, I mean, I figure at this point, Blair has been assimilated. Like, I think Blair was planning on killing himself, then got assimilated and ended up not. And first he Shawshanked. Yeah. Yes, he he did. Um, and he's so portly. It would have been hilarious if when they caught him, he wasn't very far into the project. He was like three feet down. <laughs> he was like, I assimilated a fat old guy. And they're like... They're like, but Blair's only 48. What? <laughs> what? I'm not, I can't fit through these tunnels. You got me. Uh, so, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, they find the burnt corpse of Fuchs. Um, and uh, Windows heads inside while McCready and Nalls investigate McCready's shack. Uh, because they see that the lights are on and McCready turned the lights off when he left. Um, then we cut to some time later. Um, uh, Nulls. It's, it's about 45 minutes later. Yeah, around 45 minutes later. Nulls has abandoned McCready in the snowstorm believing that he was assimilated after finding his torn clothes in the shack. Um, all that happened off screen, so we don't know what happened with McCready and Nalls out there. And you know, um, very subtly, Quentin Tarantino paid tribute to this in um, up, 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 The Hateful Dangerous Eight. Eight or Hateful Eight. Hateful yeah. Eight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Hateful Eight shares a little common... Um, not all. I don't want to say. It, yeah, but trapped the, in well, a room. I mean, yeah, but Kurt the, Russell. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kurt, and Kurt Russell, Russell trapped in a room. Somebody killed. At least one person killed somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's a ten yeah. little Indians kind of thing in some ways. Um. So all right. Uh. Then okay. So the team uh team debates whether or not to allow McCready back inside. Who uh has returned? He breaks in and holds the group at bay with some dynamite. During this encounter, Norris appears to suffer a heart attack, but as the Doc Doc Copper attempts to defibrillate Norris, his chest transforms into a mouth-like cavity and bites off Copper's arms, killing him. Crazy. That scene was insane. And the thing as Norris tricked them into thinking that he had died of a heart attack. Yes. It is super duplicitous and self-preservation like at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Yeah. It, starped, it stopped all the bodily functions to trick them into getting close to the body. Right. And yeah, just like <laughs> eats his arms with his rib cage. Yep. Oh, man. Um, Mc- then he, he grows a new head. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. And yeah. while go ahead through. Well, no, no. Okay. So like he like eventually they incinerate um Norris, right? But the head like falls off the body, like, yeah. like Norris's original head kind of squeezes out um 
that's what I was going to say. He, he grows that second head. It's almost like a distraction. Mm. Um, and then the original head squeezes off away from the flaming body. Right. And grows spider legs and tries to sneak out behind them. And, and eyes. And the head was yeah. upside down. Yeah. yeah the upside yeah. down uh, aspect just adds to how shocking this uh, is as a visual. I, yeah. All of this is crazy. And I can definitely see how 1982 people would be like, holy shit. This is insane. Well, and the reactions of all the actors in that moment of just like, what? Like, they've seen enough of this to know that, like, anything is possible. But still, the visual of this is so terrifying. And yeah. I love that they, they all just watch it walk away. It's like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, McCready does then incinerate it. Um, yeah. But holy shit. Yeah. And it's a, it's, he, he was brave enough to give you a no win situation. Yeah. You could imagine maybe what happened, but he's like, they're the only two left. Their only advantage is fire. They're stuck on Antarctica. Like, definitely wasn't a high note. And even uh, Keith Dave Childs is like, so what do we do now? Oh, at, at, at the end? Yeah. Um, no, oh, we're not yeah, we're jumping way, 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 way ahead there. Okay. Um, so, okay. <laughs> All the time. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Let's see. Uh, yeah, Mac McCready wants them to tie each other up. Clark rushes him with a knife. He shoots Clark point blank in the forehead. Everyone does get tied up. McCready tells them that if every small piece of the creature is alive, then even the smallest portion will try to defend itself. Um, so then we have the blood sample testing scene where he uh, tests each blood sample with a heated piece of wire. Um, everyone passes the test except Palmer. This whole scene, like much of this movie, is like a what's what's the not nesting dolls? What's the cup game called? Oh, the, the yeah, the Hustler cup game. Yeah, the three the not three card Monty. Three card but, Monty. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is three card Monty. Um, there's so much done with sleight of hand and things that we don't see happening visually on screen that we are so confused. And obviously, what is it? Forty years later, we're still so confused by this specific steps in this movie right it's great nothing is shown directly to us and we just led to believe what we believe right so john carpenter did say there were a few tells that he put in so um any any actor who was um infected they took away um any sort of lighting which would reflect in their eyes so their eyes would be blank and dark yeah um, that's one of the few visual tells he put in. Um, so if you watch through again, anybody who has reflections of lights in their eyes is not infected at that point when you are seeing them have reflections it's, in their eyes. It's like Blade Runner though, where the whole idea that like the replicants have that ring in their eyes, mm -hmm. but you still don't know for sure yeah. at the end. Yeah. I you know? Mean, you don't know at yeah, the end. That yeah, that was my point too. I I really like when movies do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it, like it, when it, a British series is just like, we're donezo. Yeah. Right. We're not going like, to do three more seasons of bullshit. <laughs> well, it makes me think of like the, the modern version of that is Inception with the spinning top where it's like, but did it? Yeah. You see it spin a little bit. You see it tumble a little bit. And it's like, 
that's yeah. the whole point is that we don't know for sure. The uncertainty. And that's the beauty of the, the, the eternal conversation that will be born out of these movies. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The uncertainty is the point. Um, so, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, so Palmer's exposed as being um, infected. He transforms, breaks free of its bonds. He infects windows. Um, McCready's having trouble with his fire, uh, his, his flamethrower, but he eventually, if he affects windows, his name should have been McAfee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, this flamethrower scene is so frustrating to me too. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. That's the one thing that I think is out of character for McCready being like befuddled by this piece of technology, just being like, while chaos right. is happening around him. Yeah. You think that he'd be like self-preservation, man, I'm out. I'm yeah. grabbing my stick of dynamite and I'm leaving the room. Yeah, you think or he, something. He would have yes. tossed like some dynamite in and closed the door and ran. Like maybe. Right. Yeah. It, and like know. I know the rest aren't infected, but fuck them. Like Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my really my one story complaint about this the way this whole thing goes is that he just kind of stands there dick in his hands like, "I don't know what to do." Yeah. Like, um, one of my have- little one of my peeves um and maybe it doesn't mean anything, but around that same scene, the creature uses its tongue or tentacle to pull the um, what's the dynamite lever? It has a specific. Oh, name. Oh, you know what I mean? name. Yeah. oh, this is in the it. finale. Yeah, yeah, that's at the end. At the end, he does that. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, yeah, that's in the tunnels underneath. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But, my bad. But um, yeah. So all right. So Childs is left on guard. While the others go to test Blair, they find that Blair has escaped. They discover in underground tunnels he's, he's dug and that he was using their equipment to construct his own small spaceship. They blow up the shack and the spaceship. While on their return to the main building, Childs is missing. And So the spaceship thing? Okay. The creature is trying to recreate the spaceship. Again, I... I, I this is something that's always stuck with me with the thing is a, I don't think the thing created the spaceship that it arrived to the earth on, mm-hmm. but it's natural thought is to recreate the thing that it arrived to the earth on, you know, because it takes pieces of things and creates itself out of them. It's trying to do that with mechanical stuff without an understanding of how mechanical stuff works. It's just an interesting, like, yeah. uh, characterization of the the thing creature itself it's like i don't know i got here on a spinny disc made of metal parts here are metal parts i'll make a spinny disc um it just shows like how how like i don't want to say like childlike it is but it is just seeing a visual approximation and then trying to reproduce it you know the spaceship didn't fly it wasn't a real spaceship it didn't have like vertical thrust or anything it was just metal parts that were shaped like the metal parts yeah reassembled that's true. Yeah, it's a good question of whether that spaceship was really going to get the thing anywhere. Yeah. I, I think it might um, also assimilate knowledge from its uh, hosts so, uh, because because it's able to imitate a person so perfectly. Um, mannerisms and probably got some memories too. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so it had the knowledge of spaceship building maybe from the the spaceship aliens that it assimilated. That's a possibility. But at the same time, I, I don't think that it was, it was necessarily going to take that spaceship and fly away. I don't think that it had the complete 
knowledge to to create whatever uh, otherworldly technology made the other spaceship fly. Mm. Um, yeah. it, we don't we don't see it harvesting parts from the big ship to put into the smaller ship or something, or, uh, or creating an engine to fly. That, oh, oh yeah, that possibly it absorbs certain information or ingrained knowledge yeah. from everything it assimilates. Maybe it didn't. Well, we talked about it. Probably didn't build the first ship either. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I know I want to imitate these other creatures, but a part of me wants to build this thing. Yeah, yeah I might have just been acting instinctually, like just like, yeah. Huh. Um, so, all right, McCready um, uh, returns to the main building. Um, child is missing. The power generator has been destroyed. McCready speculates that the thing intends to return to hibernation until a rescue team arrives um, in order to infect them. So McCready, Gary, and Nalls decide that they're going to blow up the entire station in order to destroy the thing. They start setting explosives out. Uh, and McCready's uh, already determined at this point. He says, we're not getting out of here alive. Yeah. The, but yeah. neither is this thing. Right. Yeah, he realizes at this point. I, I'm wondering how early he realized, like, I think... When he was testing the blood, he still thought maybe they could get out of it. But by the time he sees when, Blair and the spaceship, he's like, and realizes it's going to hibernate. I think this is the point where he decides, no, none of us are getting out alive. When did he record the message? That was before the blood test, right? Yeah. 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 I think I think that was the first moment me. where he goes like, we we very well could all die here in in order to save us. Because he had the conversation with Blair and all that, but I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he was entertaining the thought, but I think his like final decision, like, no, we're just all going to die. Period, was probably around the time he saw Blair had escaped. And they don't, they don't give a clear timeline. It's eighty, you know, one, but over this period, I, it could be one night, it could be a couple. Right. Well, Um, no, he he says in in the. In his thing he's recording, he says it's been 48 hours since yeah. since the first, um, since they first... Since the dog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, well, then that was my point, is that they don't have a real understanding of how fast this works either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that ups the ante as far as we got to just die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, as they said, explosive, Blair kills Gary... Um, Nalls disappears and then transforming into an enormous creature, uh, Blair as the thing <laughs> destroys the detonator. This is the point where he like presses down the thing and blows it up. Um, <clears throat> Blair killing Gary was the fingers in the face. Oh God. Yeah. F- freaking incredible. Yes. That was a great scene. A great, like all of that looked insane. It's always an intense way to go. Yeah, <laughs> fingers well, and we in don't, the face. We don't, yeah, we, we don't, don't see life the horrific, the horrific tentacle action. We just assume that all of that is happening under the surface of his skin, which yeah. is a really cool thing. At this point, they've shown us everything that freaks us out, but then we just get the hand on the face and the wiggle, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, there's a quick shot of um, of Gary's body being drugged by the face and it's like fully integrated into Blair's hand at that point. Yeah. 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 
yeah. just trying to find something else to add to its assimilation. Yeah, like yeah. putting them together, making them like, yeah, they're becoming one creature. Yeah, it's no longer trying to <laughs> sneak through the group. It's trying to overpower the group. Mm-hmm. By just becoming bigger than them, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, the thing changes strategies multiple times throughout this. And the question is like, how smart is this thing? And is it only getting smarter because it has multiple brains, you know? Yeah. I think that it's more about adaptability than intelligence. But yeah. I think it gains intelligence based on the life forms it assimilates. Not assimilates, but imitates yeah mm-hmm. but i mean no i mean because it does because like at the end here like i said he's he's like uh gary and blair become both part of the same like they 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 meld together to become this bigger thing right they seem on one hand advanced and also behind evolution yeah um so all right uh mccready does trigger the explosives using a stick of dynamite the base blows up he pulls himself out of the rubble, collapses nearby as the station burns. He's got his bottle of J&B. Um, Child's returns. Love, Go ahead, Al. I loved, I loved uh, McCready's line um, right before he throws the, the dynamite. Uh, the creature's roaring at him. He just says, yeah, fuck you too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the classic 80s. Yeah. Remember when fuck you was like one of the worst things? Yeah, people would flip out. Now it's like what they say when you're done shopping. <laughs> Have a nice day. Fuck you Fuck too. You. <laughs> like thank you. Yeah. Um, um. When when I went to England, uh, the first night there, uh, a dude um went to the jukebox, put some, some money in, and uh, we were close by, and he picked just a couple of songs and told us we could pick the rest. And we said, "Oh, thank you very much." Just like, yeah, yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah they they use swear words brilliantly some yep. of their swear words are confusing but they they're artists they are true vulgarians yeah <laughs> that hide behind a pre, prim and proper <laughs> yeah. Yeah. uh so all right so um child returns just at that moment he uh tells mccready that he got lost in the storm while pursuing blair um, exhausted, knowing that they're soon going to be sl- slowly freezing to death as there's no more inside for them to go to. They acknowledge the futility of their distrust. McCready gives a bottle of scotch to Childs, who takes a drink as McCready smiles. So I think there was a cool writing missed opportunity because Childs is like, so what do we do now? And I think it would have been cool if McCready was like, well... We drink until we pass out, and then we freeze to death. <laughs> just straight yeah, up says, just a badass, just like, that's what's going to happen. Have some scotch. Yeah. Well, I think that the reason why they didn't do that uh, is to leave the suspicion of both of these characters. Is McCready still McCready? Is Child still Child's? Mm-hmm. And because- he says, let's see what happens. But they're literally yeah. in the middle of Antarctica. Even with their best efforts, they're not going to be able to walk very far. So you're right. It leaves all that. Yeah. Right. But also is Childs infected? Is McCready infected? Like that is very unclear. Where where has Childs been and where has McCready been to Childs? All he sees is the base explode. Even though they were adversarial. Yeah. It, it, It was an interesting relationship. 
Because well, they were like, well, there's no need to kill each other. We're the last two. There's no way we're going to survive. So instead of killing each other, let's just lay here and die. Right. Yeah. Well, and so, all right. So, yeah. The, I mean, the big unanswered question of the film is, were, was Childs and or McCready infected in this final scene? That is the unanswered question of the film, which has been debated for 40 years now. Um, the I, I don't think either are. I I think that's the tragedy. So there's a there's an interesting theory um, about the bottle of scotch and about the smile Mm -hmm. from McCready. So there's this there's this underlying theory and assumption that McCready because we don't see McCready drink it himself. No, he never yeah, drinks the scotch himself. when he's recording. He's drinking some JB. But, but oh, not earlier. In, yeah, but not in not this Not in scene. this moment. Oh, oh, oh. In this So scene, yeah. there is a theory that McCready has filled the bottle with gasoline and hands it to Childs, who if Childs is not himself, if he is the thing and it's gasoline, he wouldn't know the difference necessarily and he would right. just drink the gasoline and McCready would then smile at him going like, oh, shit, he, he was the thing all along. Yeah. I think that's a distinct possibility for sure. Kurt I also, I also think that maybe he, he kind of – so alcohol and the higher content we know is um, flammable. It's an accelerant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, y- your idea probably makes more sense, but it, he could have even just known that like it, it couldn't drink alcohol sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was the test. That could Who be knows? Too. But you're right. That's the question. Are either of them infected? We don't know. Both. That, yeah. Like that, that question is literally left unanswered, like by the film itself. We, and in it, and one unanswered question is so suspenseful, important is what happened after, you know, did that alien just freeze again? Yeah. 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 If Childs was infected, did McCready kill him? Was he able to? Was yeah. was McCready infected? Was he maybe smiling because he knew they were both infected? Like Yeah. What if a rescue uh, crew does show up? Yeah. And gets both of them alive. Um so anyways, yeah. A couple other questions. Uh whose long johns were in the garbage? <laughs> the guy who shit in him accidentally. <laughs> Yeah, it was not thing related. It was just <laughs> he, he talks about how disgusting it is, and then he throws it on either the stove or the kitchen counter. Right? Yeah. Um, it, it's still I would the prime suspects being Norris and Palmer, but yeah, probably one of them. Of course, but we de- like he we, mentions yeah. that clothing that they tear through clothing like yeah. it doesn't assimilate in any sort of mystique type way. Yeah. Well, yeah. and so it's, a, so it's a clue. It's a red herring. Clue. Norris looks like a guy who would shit his pants. So <laughs> totally, yeah, he does. Um, oh, I gotta hide these. Who uh, again? Who tore up McCready's clothes to leave them? Like, cause that 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 was you know that was a, some sneaky duplicitous stuff. Somebody was <laughs> yeah. infected, went out and tore up McCready's clothes just in order to sow um, distrust. Uh, okay, so. Again, back to Norris oh. becoming a giant mouth and eating the hands of Dr. Cooper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing is able to trick people. Yeah. Especially if it's playing both roles. The question is, was McCready infected the entire time playing the role of the thing, tricking everybody? <laughs> That's where it gets like fucking super deep, like three-dimensional right. 
chess level of like, was he the thing the entire time? They from do the moment that he gets lost outside in the snow and arrives by himself. But his doesn't blood. Know it. They test his blood as well. Well, but that's the thing is maybe the blood doesn't have to react. It is a faint itself. Right. They are, he had, the thing is tricking them into thinking that it has to react to a hot wire when realistically it's like, nah, I just do what I want. That's that's a possibility. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Like how deep does the rabbit hole really go in this movie is like it can you could interpret this movie so many different ways. But I, I love the idea that maybe McCready thought he was a, a human the whole time. I know I'm me and he's wrong. That's my favorite interpretation. I don't necessarily well, and, think it's right, but. And then it's called The Thing. So in that documentary for the last time, John Carpenter talks about that. He talks about the ancient people sitting around the fire in the village and the shaman and the wise man telling them that the fear is out there. The fear is out in the darkness that we can't see. The fear is the other. When mm-hmm. it turns out the fear is us. Mm-hmm. Not not the other. And so he, he definitely used that theme pretty heavy. You know, yeah. are you the thing? Like they just calling it, they start calling it the thing and things just right off the bat. It makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. yeah um, and so the last unanswered question I have is who killed Fuchs and was Fuchs infected at that point or or was he killed by the thing um, in order to make them think he was infected? Yeah, he was attacked by Antarctica's most fierce animal, the penguin. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they pose the question right there and never answer it. Um, was he attacked by the thing, or did he set himself on fire? Right. right. Yeah. They, their very first mistake was not quarantining immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, they should have. Um, yeah. Immediately, they ruined their rec room. They should have quarantined. They should have wore masks. They should have washed their hands regularly. Right. There's lots. Well, apart. and 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 they mentioned. So, I mean, since any small bit of the thing can be, um, you know, can itself be its own thing. Yeah, <laughs> like an independent life form, if yeah, you will, an independent yeah. life form, like. How do do we did every single bit get burned up? Like, is there a little chunk of the thing, like a little dime sized chunk out there waiting? Like, you know, Maybe. well, and we see from that virtual reality high tech demonstration that a single cell <laughs> of it is its own thing, yeah. and cells are very small, like smaller than a dime. Oh yeah, smaller than a pinhead. Um, it's it's pretty hard to. <laughs> To destroy something that, you know, a small single drop that is indiscernible to the eye. Yeah. Right, that can move around on its own. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. they all could have been affected five minutes into the movie and we would never know. Yeah. We wouldn't know. I think it's yeah. very, very unlikely that this completely stops the spread. Like, I think Earth's pretty doomed <laughs> at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the thing 2011. Is a movie that exists. It was marketed as a remake. It technically is a prequel. Hmm. Um, it ends with a. Does Does it take place in a Norwegian camp? Yes. Yes. Cool. It absolutely does. It's cool. cool. It's not. It's not great. It's nowhere near as good as this. But it's an interesting movie to watch. In conjunction. is it just called the thing? Or is it is just called the thing. thing? Yeah. 
Because it was marketed as a remake of the thing, but it's technically, yeah. And it ends with them chasing the dog. Mm -hmm. Uh. Yeah. Um, So it it leads directly into this one. But um, it's it's okay. It's an all right film. They, they, They did all the effects practically. And then the studio panicked and made them put CGI over a bunch of the practical effects they did, which is too bad, but... It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, but it's an all right movie. It's, it's you know, it's not even close to the 82, <laughs> the thing. So uh, I shared with you guys uh, this, and I, I shared it too late. Nobody got a chance to read it. But The Things is a short story uh, by Peter Watts that's written from the perspective of The Thing as it goes through the events of this movie. Um, sort of starting at the end, like a la Qu- Quentin Tarantino out of timeline kind of thing mm-hmm. but yeah it gets it gets the i am being blair i am being cooper i am being childs um right, explaining right. what each each person is doing as the thing um and oftentimes explains how they do not know that they are even assimilated as the thing right um but, but this short story was a hugo award nominee it was nominated for a bunch of different uh sci-fi and short story awards it's worth a read it's very cool Right. And that's that's actually very interesting, because with that and that short story, that perspective, the question then becomes, if you're infected, do you even know you're infected? Yes. Yeah. Are you thinking like I'm being a sneaky alien or do you think I'm Bennings and I'm, you know, it's the symbiote, you know, sort of made up logic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know or is it talking to you? And the short story, this this version runs under the uh, understanding that Childs has been assimilated. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's yeah. I I think I think there's a good chance he was, but again, yeah. Well, he doesn't look cold at the end. He's not wearing a jacket. He's not wearing a hat. I mean, yeah. He he pretty, isn't defending himself like he yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, uh, verbally defending himself. Yeah. He seems like he's in a good mood for the first time in the entire two hours of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they both play re- resigned so well. Yeah. They yeah. Do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Their, yeah. Their relationship is great. Childs and McCready. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I read their relationship in this movie as though they were friends prior to this. Yes. Because McCready, mm. McCready comes and goes. And it right. just so happens that McCready is there. For the time yeah. being. Yeah. And you can tell some people are cooler with others. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I think Childs and McCready might have been close before this bullshit. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, that's one thing that I f- feel like Roger Ebert got really wrong. These are not <laughs> faceless, like, horror movie, like, bodies to be killed. They all have their own character. They are all, they have relationships. You can see it. Like, I, I just, Ebert got it so yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. You you can see things like Fuchs and McCready have a relationship. Childs and McCready have a relationship. Nobody likes Gary, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> Even though everybody he's in thinks charge, Palmer yeah. and everybody thinks Palmer and Windows are idiots. Yeah. Like they have, they are more than just those two dimensional. No one says these things out loud. They are showing us. Absolutely. Yeah. This movie. I don't know. I think. Yeah. This movie is. I feel might be John Carpenter's best film. To um, me, to me, this is this is top five horror movies of all time. Absolutely, the fact that people thought that this was, 
one of the worst is hilarious to me. Yeah, it's in the top one, two, or three of his best movies. Absolutely, ab- absolutely. Yeah, no, there's. It's def- my personal favorite of his. Yeah, I. I mean, well, there, there's, I mean, there's Halloween, there's They Live, and there's this. There's They Live. Like you could teach your film class. Those are in. You can't argue against those. No, those <laughs> three sorry, films yeah. are insanely good. And then you, Big Trouble in Little China, is a, another yes. like classic masterpiece. Um, Escape yes. from New York, like. The, Ghost of Mars wasn't bad. Ghost of Mars was all right, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, those. I mean, Starman is a very different kind of movie oh, than yeah. these. But Starman's an incredibly great movie. Like John Carpenter yeah. had a run of films in the seventies and eighties that was unparalleled. And the fact that they weren't yeah. all considered classics is insane at the time. And I know he's never titled as the casting agent because he doesn't have that title. But the man knows how to cast a movie. Yeah, he does. So, um, all right. Any last thoughts before we move on, guys? Uh, don't think. Don't take your thing out in public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep your thing hidden. Uh, your shame. Uh, so, all right. We're gonna move on. Um, <laughs> next week, everybody, we are gonna be yeah, back because uh, haunt, haunted uh, phosphorescence is over. As yeah. Of now. Yep, this is our final uh, Spooktober episode. Um, next time on Haunt, on uh, Armless Phosphorescence, we are going to be back to our regular programming superhero movie podcast. Uh, we'll be talking about X-Men, Days of Future Past. So, yeah. Oh, man, how many new characters do I have to... Yeah, Al, Al is going to be back to doing research next week. <laughs> yeah. uh, and even different versions of characters he's done. Yeah, they've changed so much. Exactly. So um, we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This has been your host, Throw Smiley, and I'm off to go join up in the war against Norway. <laughs> I'm Josh Cece, and I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. <laughs> it was me. I've been tossing my drawers into the kitchen trash can. I'm Brian Lesh. <laughs> I'm Alaric Weber, and I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. Uh, you and me both, Al. So. <laughs> yeah, all of us. That one hit it hard. Woo! Yeah, so thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>